Thank you for joining us for Ivy There. And now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream show where we're connecting the interactive advertising industry uh, and trying to provide some comfort uh, and live conversation where uh, during this time of complexity and crisis. Today, uh, I'm very pleased to be welcoming David Moore and Perkins from Brightpool. Our topic is uh, having survived earlier crises, and particularly the, the terrorist attacks of 20, uh, 2001 and then the financial collapse of 2008-2009. What have we learned from those previous crises and how do they apply to what we're doing today? Um, I don't uh, intend this show to be, uh, you know, sort of the coronavirus crisis, coronavirus crisis uh, daily show, um, but uh, we're under some significant evolutionary pressure. Uh, as individuals, as businesses, as an industry, as a culture, and as a species. So talking about those things openly is a, a great idea. Uh, we are going to uh, be entertaining questions uh, at key moments. And so if you do have questions, the way to ask them is on Twitter. Please use the hashtag, all caps, one word, IAB there. Uh, one of our producers is monitoring that and will feed the questions to us uh, as he can. Can. So, uh, uh, David and Bob, thank you so much for joining us on Ivy. If tell us, uh, David, first, you um, tell us about where you were during the uh, during uh, during the two thousand and one crisis. Sort of, what were you doing? Uh, well, actually, first, tell us about what you're doing today. So, we'll get to the history lesson, but tell us about yourself. So. Um I uh, started or I started Brightpool in 2019 along with uh, my business partner, Bob Perkins, who's with us, as well as another gentleman by the name of Michael Conley. And we are an identity resolution and management company with the intent uh, purpose of transitioning the industry from cookies to identity. And we've been at it since the beginning of 2019 and uh, it's been going very well. Uh, and, and Bob, you're the COO of the business, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, we've really, we really have three different wings of our company. We have a wing that reaches out to advertisers who need first party identities to be successful. We reach out to publishers who need logged in users to make sure in a world without cookies and Google's announcement has certainly helped our business a great deal. And then we have to involve consumers. So I'm particularly, because of my background on the consumer side of the equation, but it's a, been a very wonderful. And a, when we started out saying cookies were going away, people said we were fools and now we look like brilliant people. So it's been a lot of fun. Right. I think it was Louis Pasteur who said the chance favors the prepared mind. So congratulations uh, on quote. that. Great Let's quote. talk about your sort of professional histories. Um, Bob, let's talk with you. You're just being, having been on the consumer side. Give us the sort of, you know, the quick rundown of the last, uh, sort of the last 20 years, I would say, it's sort of since the internet. Um, you, you were uh, at Pizza Hut at one point. Well, I was, but I started out in direct marketing and politics. And I left then in 1984 and joined Chai at Day, where I ended up running the New York office. Then I went to Pizza Hut as chief marketing officer, 
Then I went to Calvin Klein. I had a worldwide license in marketing. Then I started an internet company. And since this is about crises, I did the perfect thing you can do with an internet company. I sold it just before the crash in 2001. Wow. So <laughs> uh, as Louis Pasteur said, luck is really important. So um, that's when I met David shortly after that and joined the board of 24-7 and then was with 24 seven as the board, as a board member until we sold it. And I've been consulting ever since until I joined David uh, to start Brightpool. David, what about you? You're, uh, you're of course, uh, have been a fixture at the Ivy since its inception. So tell us about your professional history, but also about your history with us, please. Well, I um, um, started 24 seven at the end of 2007, wrote it up like a meteor. We took it public. And by the beginning of, of January of 2000, we had a $69 stock price, a uh, billion eight market cap. We had 52 offices in 29 countries. We had $100 million in the bank and we're cash break even for the first quarter. And then, of course, the, uh, Whoops. the uh, NASDAQ peaked. And after that, our stock went down every day until the end of 2001, just prior to the uh, um, terrorist attacks, our price was then 15 cent uh, stock price, $15 million market cap. We had downsided, downsized to 200 people in North America and we had a going concern opinion from our auditors. So we went from euphoria to really a, a terrible, terrible time. We were about to get delisted from the NASDAQ because you have to have your price over a dollar for uh, uh, 10 business days. And the terrorist attack occurred, which was a horrible event. Um, I was the only one in the office the next day. Mm. And I remember going to the office with the smell of electrical fires. And, and I was determined not to let this event change my life. I didn't want the terrorists to win, if you will. Um, but it did affect the business where we had thought we were coming back. And all of a sudden, after the terrorist attack, it got worse. Uh, but they did reset the clock in terms of uh, NASDAQ stock price so that we had another go at staying above that $1. Mm. And during that time, particularly after 2001, it was very tough to have a positive mental attitude. I must tell you, the press was terrible about internet uh, advertising. Uh, dot coms had started to decline in 2000, and by you know the beginning of 2002, we had hundreds of them going out of business overall. Oh, I remember. It was it was really tough, but um, having a positive attitude. Overall, in spite of all that, increasing your activity so that you're doing more makes you feel like you're accomplishing more and you most likely are. And, and being honest with all the employees about the situation um, was one of the things that helped us get through it. We rebuilt the company. Uh, I had most of my board members resign because they're worried about big liability. And, mm -hmm. and that's when I recruited Bob. And he was the first guy. We were down to three people on the board. And I recruited Bob to, to be on the board. And uh, he turned out to be a wonderful addition. 
He became our lead director. And um, just as another aside, I, I must tell you, being in business with them, working together on a day-to-day -day basis has, has been one of the best things about Brightpool overall. Um, That's... But, well, let me let me just let me interject for a second, which is, you know, my my crystal clear memory of 9-11 is being woken up. I was living in Los Angeles at the time uh, it all started to happen. At the time, I was working as an editor at Earthlink, the ISP, and we were told uh, by our management not to come to the office because we were a communications firm. They believed that we might be a target. We suddenly had to cobble together a working structure where we were communicating. And this is, uh, I think I think I had broadband at that point at home, but, uh, but barely, but most people didn't. Broadband penetration was very, very low. And we had to suddenly cobble together a, a lot of new ways of working together and still continuing to run the business, even though it was a week plus before we could get back into the office. And so, there's this, uh, the phrase that actually it's a phrase from the 2008, or I first heard in 2008, which is never want to waste a perfectly good crisis and that you can have interesting things happen. You can learn a lot uh, during uh, moments of crisis. And um, it sounds, although it uh, sounds horrible to say, David, it sounds that, you know, you in some ways, timing of 2001 was kind of a lucky break for 24 seven because it gave, bought you some time uh, where that you could, where you could, uh, you know, continue to exist as a business while that reset was happening. Not that any part of you would ever have desired it. Uh, uh, I'd love to talk about, uh, you know, how today is is similar to and different from uh, both 2001 and 2008. Uh, Brad, uh, yes, sir. Can I go back just a little bit to something Dave was Please. saying? We sort of came up with a little an acronym, a little mantra, which was called last. Yes. The goal was to last. And then the L was for laugh because you had to keep a sense of humor. You had to keep upbeat. As David said, it was easy. The A is for act. You had to do something. You had to act now. S was for sell because that eventually oh, yeah. the, the business is going to come back and you couldn't have a business if you didn't sell it. And T was for talk, which you had to talk to your employees. So, you know, and, and we've obviously all been through lots of ups and downs in our professional careers. And that little mantra of LAST has served me well as I try to figure out what you do in a difficult time. And is that something you guys have been speaking about openly inside of Brightpool, that same acronym? Well, been driving our behavior, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, look. That the name of the game is staying alive to fight another day, right? So from our perspective, we've made all the plans to be able to get through this uh, crisis. And I would say the, the biggest difference between this crisis and the, the one in 2001 is the one in 2001 didn't last as long as this one is going to last. And secondly, it was the enemy. And you know, it's, it's easy to get competitive uh, against the enemy, right? And mm -hmm. as I said earlier, I didn't want them to stop me from working or going to work out at the pool. I remember that morning after 9-11, I went to New York Athletic Club. I turned on the lights in the pool myself. There was nobody there. And I swam, I was determined to maintain my, my routine. However, with coronavirus, 
the enemy is a germ <laughs> and you can't see it. And it is um, a, a whole different dynamic than what we've ever experienced before. And I was, I was saying to uh, Bob the other day, I'm running down the street here in Florida, I'm maintaining social distance from everybody. I come up to a woman, she's at least 10 yards away from me. She puts a handkerchief over her face. I'm in the pool today, taking a swim. There's another guy in there, he's 20 feet away from me. He gets out of the pool when I'm in there. So when you think about that dynamic, I, I have to believe it's just not my personality that's making this happen. But <laughs> when you think about that dynamic, people look at you nowadays as a potential enemy, a carrier. And, and so that's a dynamic that is, is different. I think that's gonna fundamentally change our society when this is all said and done. Talk about other similarities and differences between these these early crises. Um, one of them I mentioned earlier, which is that in 2001, internet penetration was low, uh, broadband penetration was very low. Uh, by 2008, we were at the, the onset of the mobile revolution. You know, the iPhone had come out just a year earlier in 2007, quickly become an you know, extraordinarily triumphant consumer good. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, broadband penetration was high, mobile penetration was growing quickly. Uh, one big difference, I think, in terms of uh, where we are today in 2020 versus where we were in our, the two earlier crises that we're talking about is we have pervasive connection, right? what some social scientists call, call ubicomp or ubiquitous computing, uh, ubiquitous computing environment, which also is ordinarily a ubiquitous marketing environment. That seems to be one big change to me is that, you know, you really just can't just expect sort of everyone over the age of 10 to have some kind of, you know, computing device available to them, whether it's, uh, you know, in your, in your hand, a laptop, a tablet, a desktop. Does that, has that changed? So in terms of as you're managing a business, as you're dealing with business crises, has the pervasiveness of connection done anything good or bad? Like what, what has it changed or am I missing other important differences? Well, you know, I think number one, in our industry, we are all should be very thankful and blessed that we can work remotely. There's a lot of companies that can't do that that, you know, whether it's the services industry or you name them, we are very, very fortunate. And it's very big positive, I think, for us to keep in mind. Now, is this as good as you and I sitting across from one another having lunch or a drink together? No, it's it's not. But you know what? It's, it's better than just a telephone call. I can see you. I can get body language and that kind of thing. And um, it's I think a skill that we all are really developing right now is how to use this type of environment, this type of interface to conduct business, because I think we're going to be using it a lot more in the future. So you think, I guess this is an interesting question for both of you. Let's start with you, David, which is uh, one question. We had this question uh, in a survey that we put out Last week, we're, we're working uh, on some other research beyond the financial parts. Like if all of the movie theaters you know, go bankrupt, then we won't have movie theaters anymore. But let's say that they're all fine financially. 
what behaviors do you think people are going to uh, not go back to, both both in a business setting and personally? Are there, in your opinion, indelible changes that will be happening because of this? Which I, you know, I think uh, our mutual friend Jeffrey Cole of the Center for the Digital Future. Uh, has said to me, this is the largest disruption in in his lifetime. Right? There's never, there's nothing bigger uh, that's happened in terms of really just fundamentally uh, altering the day to day lives of people all over the world. The nothing, this, nothing compares to this. What do each of you think? Do you, what do you think? Do you think? I'm going to take a step back and go slower. What do you think is not going to change back when we come back? Any ideas? Well, I think it's a little early to, to make a prediction. Um, I tend to believe that the work from home thing, the work remotely thing, whatever you want to call it, and Dave's right, and I just like to emphasize that we are, we are very lucky, those of us who can work from home. If you, if you have a job that requires you to be there, whether you're an actor on, in Broadway or working at a grocery store or you serve, work in a restaurant or you're a chef, there are millions and millions of Americans who can't work remotely. So a small percentage, percentage of us that can should be very grateful. But I, I tend to think that we're gonna get a bounce back that having been separated and having been forced to work this way, that the minute we get a chance to get back together, we will. Well, as David said, this is good, but it's not as good as being next, sitting across the desk from you or having lunch with you. So I, th I think it's a little early to predict because it's a little early to know how long this is going to last. The changes to society are going to be very different if on May 1st, the, you, you can go back if you've passed the COVID test or if you can't go back until Labor Day. And we don't really know what's going to happen yet. So I, I'm not making any rush to judgment is what the final outcome is going to be. Yeah. I guess part of it too is how long will this last? And as I mentioned in the green room, Brad, I've been having uh, virtual cocktail parties every night. We call them virtual happy half hour because after with, 30 minutes. Is this personal or with your staff? Like what's your. I'm doing it with everybody, family, okay. staff, friends, neighbors. And, and it's amazing how hungry people are for that personal interaction that's social. And, and so I think, uh, you know, I agree with Bob. I had one of the participants in our cocktail party last night say, I can't wait to get together personally, right? Mm -hmm. Can't wait until this is over. And so I do think there's gonna be a lot of, of, of uh, people just, you know, wanting to come together in a, in a, in a uh, uh, appropriate manner. However, it also depends on how this virus plays out. And the idea that there are silent carriers around, you know, scares people, right? Nobody knows who to trust. And depending on the vaccine and all these things, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of issues that are going to have to be worked through here. You could have people that are just afraid to meet anybody that's they don't know. They don't want we, to. We, they don't want to shake hands. We don't know what we don't know, uh, and we're, that's going to continue to be the case. Let's just dig in for a moment, please, on uh, Beyond Last, which I think is a terrific acronym. Uh, David, you first, what, uh, you know, is there, are there concrete, other concrete things that you, you did before that you're doing now? 
people some tips if they're if this is their first you know global crisis. Uh, I will say that you know, just to, uh, you know we're very very focused on work all the time, and I've really worked hard to just stop and say, hey, how is everybody? Uh, and going around the call when I have a team meeting and just seeing like, have you been touched by this? Right? How's your family? Um, right. You know, like, but give us give us some some sense of what do you for from how do you keep business going and growing at a moment like this? What right. any concrete tips? Right. Um, I, you know, I would say 2001 and now is a very similar management situation. Um, when we sold the company, we had an economist that was telling us that the economy was going to go into a recession. 2007, 2008, he had been right before. We made a decision to sell the company based on that. Now that doesn't really have, it's not apropos for today, right? And when we talked earlier, one of the things, not easy, but positive mental attitude. I mean, every day when you're reading about what's going on with the coronavirus, there's a lot of positive things. No, not as many people got infected in New York yesterday as they did today and so on and so forth. So I think you always have to look for what is good that's happening. Activity. We are right now geared up for the most aggressive outreach during this particular time that we've done since the company has started. And we have fewer people because we have, you know, uh, created the right size for us to be able to uh, operate through all this through the rest of the year. And we are gonna be out there with as much um, marketing as we can possibly muster right now. And that activity, being busy. I mean, here I am in Florida where I've escaped from New York about three weeks ago, and I'm busier than I've, I've been when I was in New York right now. So I think activity is probably the one of the strongest catalysts for positive thinking. And I actually think you can get a lot done. Um, the, the third thing is, is to have, you know, be brutally honest in terms of where we are with our business, with our employees, so that they actually know uh, exactly where we are right now, what it's gonna take to succeed, and how do we work together to get through all this. And, you know, I worked at uh, Turner Broadcasting for a few years at the beginning of uh, CNN and WTBS and Ted Turner was great at rallying the troops, right? He's, come on, men, women, we're gonna take down the networks, we're gonna make this all happen. And, you know, he created a passion. And that's one of the things we also did at 24 seven during the downturn is we created a passion. And what the passion was, we had gotten through 9-11, we're back to building the company, nothing is going to stop us now. And everybody in the company would walk down the halls and somebody look at it and they go, nothing is going to stop us now. And it's that type of attitude that I think that your leadership, your executive team has to exhibit in order to give the employees comfort that there is a plan and we've got a way forward. And how are you doing that with no hallway? I mean, this is, you know, we're, we're like, for example, my uh, IAB, we're doing a lot with Slack and Slack is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it gives lots of connectivity. On the other hand, sometimes it can be a bit of a distraction, but you, know, you need to have a water cooler of some kind for people to puddle up around. So 
Dave, David, what, uh, just any, like, in the absence of halls, how are you doing the hallway conversations? And Bob, I'll just ask you the same pitch. question next. Yeah, the, the pitch that I just gave you, we're doing virtually. And I would say the team is together every single day on a virtual basis. And um, it's the only way we can, we can communicate in a way that is the closest as it can be to an in-person meeting. Bob, what about you? We were lucky, Brad, in that we have people in Winter Park, Florida, and we have people in New York. So we had developed some of the rudimentary skill sets of Zoom and staying in touch electronically and using Slack because we had to, because you couldn't get together and have a meeting. You couldn't fly everybody to New York once a week. So we, we had a leg up in that respect. We we're very fortunate that we're used to doing that. But, you know, you talk about changes and obviously all the regular meetings we had, which were always had a, a Zoom component for the Florida people or the Florida mm -hmm. people got together and had a Zoom component of us. We just transitioned them to totally Zoom. And I think what we've discovered in the last three weeks is 75% of those meetings are really important and 25% of those meetings you know, when you really push comes to shove, they weren't essential. So I think one of the things that's going to, this experience will teach everybody is let's keep essential meetings and get rid of non-essential meetings. And I think that that's going to be, a, that even though it's too early to predict in general, that's one of my predictions that the whole meeting ethos, you're not important unless you're in lots of meetings, is going to change because people are realizing some meetings are absolutely essential and a lot of work gets done in them, but a lot of meetings just slow things down. And in a time like this, as David says, you've got to act, you've got to be out there every day, go back to last, you've got to be selling every day. And that requires time to devote to that energy, not time to be wasted in meetings. I've been, uh, I've been trying to articulate a distinction uh, with, within my group, which is, between uh, solution-driven meetings, which I think should really be about 15 minutes, and then information-driven meetings, which should be you know, more than that, you know, sort of 30 minutes plus. And that we really can, if we can get into a cadence of, okay, 15 minutes to make a decision and move, as opposed to 30 minutes or an hour to, to talk about a problem, uh, then that's something that we're, we're working on. It's, it's having a good effect. But I wanna pull up one image. Uh, I actually harvested this from a talk that uh, you, I think you might have even seen me give, Bob, which is, this is, um, this is a, just years founded or in market. In, in, insofar as we're talking about what's changed between 2000 and now, 2001 now, and, and 2008 now, uh, I'm going to hope, uh, I can't see it, but I'm hoping that uh, the, the gang has it up on the screen. Just some really remarkable uh, thing changed. Um, uh, yeah. over the course of, of those. Well, we won't be able to see it, but I sent it to you earlier. But just to narrate, you know, in, two, in 2000, uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have Facebook or YouTube or Yelp or Shopify. Uh, we didn't have, or Twitter or Google Docs. Um, so that all of the things that happened after, between 2000, uh, 2001 and 2008, Netflix streaming, the Kindle, Dropbox, the iPhone, the uh, Spotify, our world just changed so much uh, between 2001 and the great and the financial collapse, uh, and that the financial collapse was our sort of first 
really online uh, uh, crisis. And then between those dates and now, we've had uh, another extraordinary series of, of things, Airbnb, Evernote, uh, the iPad, the Nest thermometer, Snapchat, Siri, and Alexa, uh, all sorts of digital assistance, the pervasion, pervasion of digital technology moving uh, into increasing parts of our lives, uh, and also uh, things like uh, more recently, the birth of uh, Oculus, and so we're moving into AR and VR. And, uh, and in a moment, I'll ask the, uh, the gang to pull the image back down. Um, it's a more optimistic image with the, I apologize for the 15 years of transformation caption uh, that came from a, um, from a talk I was giving. The, the, the point about sharing this for me is again, to highlight the extent to which we are more connected in more ways, more of the time now than we ever have been. And to ask the two of you, does this, what does this do in terms of our, your thinking about how you're running a business? You were just talking, Bob, about uh, how you know your business was already very Zoomified even before the crisis. Any thoughts about how this pervasive connection is going to make things faster, different, better, worse? Well, if you, you look at this, uh, Brad, you have all these productivity tools. You know, Zoom is one of them, of course, but whether it's Slack or Google Docs or any of the myriad of new tools that make people more efficient. And one of the things I can argue now that I'm working virtually is that I'm more efficient. Now, have I lost some of the camaraderie of being in an office with people and joking and asking about a baseball game or what they did over the weekend, sure. I do miss that and I, I try to get that in socially when I, I see people. But for the most part, when I'm working during the day, I am very, very efficient because I have nobody to talk to unless I'm on a call like this. And I will find that by three o'clock, I've, I've done all the things that I set out to do that day. And it's like, well, what else can I do? And so I'll do a few more things overall. So I think that the level of productivity is going to go way up when people are more focused on their business. And there's an exercise that I've always asked people to do when they're having trouble managing their time. And that's to write down what you're doing every 15 minutes. And I will tell you in an office scenario, Every 15 minutes when you're doing that, you're, somebody's talking to you about the baseball game, your mother called, or all these different things. And when you looked at how much time you're really devoting to business, it was shocking for many people. And I think that this new era makes it easy for people to be more effective and efficient, move the ball forward a lot quicker than in the past. Okay, Bob, anything to add before we wrap up? No, no, I think I think Dave's absolutely right. I do think that uh, just to talk about managing his staff remotely, one of the downsides of, of all these different sources of information is the rumor mill. It's much easier for the rumor mill to get out of control. Oh my God, I just read that a two-year-old died of COVID. This is the end of the world. It's much easier for people to, to get uh, spooked by 
information that either is a wrong or b they wouldn't have heard of before because so i think we've spent a lot of time at brightpool trying to make sure that we're all on the same page about how we view this crisis it's a crisis it's terrible it's not the end of the world you have to put it in perspective and now's the time to laugh you know excel and talk but i think there's the a downside to all this interconnectedness yeah, this is the United States. We, we've got some of the best medical professionals in the world. We've got tremendous opportunity here. We're going to get through this thing, and it's going to be good for everybody. And we'll learn from it and be stronger as a result. Well, on that note, that optimistic note, uh, I want to thank both David Moore and Bob Perkins from Brightpool. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me here. Uh, let me talk for a moment with the audience about uh, tomorrow uh, and then wrap it up. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to have a session on measuring brand safety. How do you do it? And we'll have our IAB Vice President of Measurement and Attribution, Angelina Eng, and John Montgomery of Group M. Uh, John is a longtime brand safety advocate and expert. Uh, IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Uh, our producers today are Connor Healy, John Ward, Joe Ons, and Tufika Abinadin. My name is Brad Behrens. I'm the Editor-in-Chief at the IAB. Uh, tune in tomorrow because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know that it's time to IAB there. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow. Thank you.